Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, this is Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are back tonight with a uh, regular show. I guess we call it a regular show. Where we do the little bit of news, we bring you an interview, and we do a Sci-Fi 5 and 5, and that kind of constitutes the show. And we're even doing a giveaway, Miles. Awesome. Yeah, another giveaway. We haven't done one of those in a while. We have tons of stuff to give away. We just... Uh, well, we've been slackers. We'll, we'll, we'll fix that, folks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or we've been slackers. But I tell you, the uh, that that hall monitor in Back to the Future would hate us. Oh, he... Yeah, he... he Strickland? He, yeah. Mm-hmm. He'd be all over us. Hope you enjoyed our Back to the Future 2 episode that came out. He would get, get that shotgun out on us. He would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and then uh, we, of course, have Back to the Future 3 that's coming up in July sometime. So make sure you're watching it and letting us know your thoughts about Back to the Future 3. That's been a fun rewind so far. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been, it has been fun. The fun discussing it and going back into the Wild West. And Yeah, it'll be see, interesting if we could pull, pull out of that one. I mean, we, we managed to pull a lot out of uh, Part 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But they're, they're just so dynamite movies in that. Right. It's good. Talking about, we're, we're discussing at least in the preliminary phases of discussing maybe doing a Back to the Future panel at Shore Leave this year. That, I, I like that idea a lot. Yeah. And by the way, if you're wondering where M's at, well, we can't tell you. We do know. We do know. But we cannot tell you um, under the threat of penalty of death. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of, my, of M's uh, wrath, you don't want to be. You don't want that. No, no. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, definitely not the, the latina heat will come out <laughs> yeah Woo-hoo. Mm-hmm. absolutely i tell you what though did you ever read her uh her conversations with telemarketers i have and she needs to write a book she needs to write a book or she needs to do stand-up because they are hilarious i, I this woman has some great comedic timing yes mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Oh wow! One of the one many reasons we love him. Yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. and we miss her tonight. So she will not be joining us tonight, but she'll be back on the show in a couple of weeks, and we'll go from there. Oh yeah. So we have a. Uh, I probably didn't tell you this, but we have somewhere along the line we're doing a uh, Pixar mashup with a couple other podcasters. I'll okay. let you know. I, I I do have the date for that somewhere. Okay, yeah. I don't so, know anything about this. Yeah, no, I didn't tell you. I'm yeah, telling you, you now, you, You're just springing on yeah, me. Yeah, I'm just springing. Hey, Miles, guess what? Tonight, we're on with Troy Troy, and Wayne, and uh, <laughs> we're talking Pixar movies. Yay! Sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to spring it on you. And uh, Have you watched just, a lot of Pixar movies? Not really. No, I can't Wally? I did see Wally. I like Wally. Finding Nemo? I didn't see Finding Nemo. Lion King? That was not. Pixar, I sorry. never saw the Lion Toy King. Toy Story? I did see Toy Story, see, Toy Story but it's been a long time. Yeah, see, it's Pixar. Okay. Pixar. I, I, <laughs> could, I couldn't tell you what is a Pixar movie, though. I don't, I don't see that often. Yeah. Um, anyways, Inside Out. We just saw Inside Out. But we'll talk more about that on a listener show, then. Mm-hmm. Well, tonight, we have a bunch of different stuff to bring you. We were going to bring you a, what, Hawk Girl uh, story that ended up being, eh, not true. Yeah, that was, an, somebody was bringing a, a Hawk Girl TV show on, on, on a CW. Well, you know, it's on the internet, it's true. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said so. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> very true. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about Heroes Reborn a little bit. Um, maybe talk, but well, we definitely are going to be talking about James Horner because, wow, what a, what a loss for 
for for for for some of the epic sci-fi films the past three three or four decades uh his music is iconic and uh, we're you know we we're gonna just just remember him it's tonight. iconic in the way that a lot of john williams music has been iconic for sci-fi yeah so so we're going to talk a little bit about him and some of our experiences in fact he's going to be our sci-fi five of five our top five Sci-fi soundtracks that James Horner has penned, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll have some honorable mentions in, in there as well. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about some things happening in Star Trek, a funny little uh, vignette of Star Wars versus Star Trek that came out. We'll play that for you and talk about it. its relevance. Oh, yeah. And uh, Paramount apparently invited some uh, Star Trek Beyond creator to pitch a TV series. As far as we know, this is... The, uh, this was on what Trek News and oh yeah other places that seem to be saying this is this is a real deal and it's kind of unprecedented where you have someone that's been working in the fan film community being invited to actually pitch a series. This is this is monumental. I so, mean, we we haven't had a Star Trek. TV well, it is show. it is Paramount, so if it's monumental, it works. It does. It does. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, and then we have an interview with Raven Oak which absolutely has to be one of the coolest pen names, if it is a pen name. I don't know if it is, but Raven Oak, absolutely great. Wonderful young lady from Seattle who just released a nice novella that you are going to want to pick up. And we have a giveaway that's, tap, that's along with that. Yeah, we have. We want to let you know about this great author, and she, she's got some cool books out there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that sounds good. Well, so we just leap into it, Miles? Let's, let's dig in. Let's dig in. So let's start with Heroes. Miles, were you a fan of Heroes when it was on television? I was, I was, and I was still a fan even when the last few seasons were just getting dogged uh, by everybody. Um, yeah. at, at season one, everybody loved, but then after season two, uh, they seemed to have lost their way. Yeah, you know, Tim Crane gets a lot of dirt for it. I mean, there were some good points. And we talked to, who did we talk to in years? Um... Matt, the policeman Matt's girlfriend, Daphne, is that her name? Uh, oh, yeah, she was the she she was basically the female Flash. Yeah, female mm-hmm. Flash. So we talked with her. Hirohito's ne- nemesis. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and she was what she was working with Suicide Girls and some other stuff that she was a comic book she was putting out at the right. time. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked it, to um, uh, the actor who played uh, the, the puppet master. Yes, we did. We talked, mm-hmm. and we did. We talked to um, oh, he was at shore leave. I'm the, the guy that. Oh, he was a Star Trek Enterprise. Yes, yes. Yeah, he he had he had a blank in his name. Uh, Dominic Dominic Keating. Dominic Keating. Yes, yeah. yes. He he ended up getting killed um, um, by the woman who had the, the electrical powers. Yeah, and I had a chance to talk to the Haitian. That that's awesome. Yeah, I did it when I, for with the podcast. I really just I I'll see if I can dig up that interview somewhere. But he was talking about his work in Haiti mm-hmm. um, at the time. I was running a podcast on Haiti called Haiti in Focus. Um, there's probably like one episode out right now of that because like I had like 33 episodes and then left to go by the wayside and then I haven't recovered all those episodes yet. So, but anyways, he was one of the interviews we uh, had a chance to interview him. So we've interviewed like four or five people from that show. Right. Right. So some very cool people. I really enjoyed the show and heroes had a lot of potential. Yes, it did. And like I said, season one just, Rocked and fired on all cylinders. Everyone says when they say heroes, yep, love season one. Give away the rest. So. Yeah, they, 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 yeah. After, after that, it was. Uh, 
But they managed to get like, the, if I remember correctly, like four seasons out of it, though. Yeah, maybe a five, four and a half. I don't know. I actually, uh, well, maybe this article does tell us here. Mm-hmm. Let me find that article. So, anyway, so a teaser finally was leaked. Not leaked, but released for the heroes. And the real question this teaser is asking is where are all the heroes? So that implies for us that something has happened. Um, and the music, wow, just great music here. Um, let me see if I can find that music. The, the, it's just it's just great. Here, let me just play it for you. So you'll, you'll hear like kind of this haunting ethereal music. It's about 30 seconds long, and this is kind of the trailer. So there's flags with question marks, questions like where are all the heroes? There's riots, people that are alone. weird flags with question marks yep yeah the world just seems to be going to hell you know what's really cool is that last scene the last clip the Statue of Liberty the heroes title sequence which is great the mm-hmm. word heroes and that whole world with the eclipse or the sun with the eclipse oh, that, that is a beautiful that's, uh, that's iconic yeah absolutely incredible Incredible. So here's kind of um, what we know about it. Aside from the fact that um, there's a remix of classic cast members, which is cool, and new additions like Zachary Levi from Chuck, right? We don't know a lot about NBC's Hero Reborn. With some two teaser footage, just peeled back another layer on the revival. The clip from the 13-episode event series has been released, giving us a more tantalizing peeks as to how the world of heroes has changed in the years since the original show went off the air. Basically, it looks like a lot of the powered folks have left in the wake of Claire revealing her near invulnerability in the show's final season to the point that people are asking about it worldwide. It's an interesting angle, sure, but were any of these these folks really world-beating heroes to begin with? We were promised a new run of episodes would attempt to develop new layers on top of the original concept that made the first season so enjoyable. Notice first season, Miles. Mm Mm-hmm. But as they keep adding more and more cast members from the original series, Hiro Nakamura, Noah Bennett, Parkman, we're starting to wonder if it's just some more convoluted craziness built upon the awesomeness of those first few years. Let's hope not. But, hey, Hiro was a highlight of that show for me. Hiro Nakamura. Oh, yep, and he's going to be, he, he'll be back. He And Noah Bennett, you know, Hormrin Glasses Man. Yeah, he'll is, be back too. Yeah, he's great. And Officer Parkman. He's back. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I'm cautiously optimistic. We're seeing 13-episode season. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that networks are bringing back old shows. We have the X-Files coming out for a six-episode arc, I believe, like a miniseries. Um, I think it's a mini-season that's coming mm-hmm. out. Looking forward to that. They're bringing these shows back. They've been off the airs, air for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, and, and a limited, limited run, but enough to just to revisit our um, some old friends and old heroes and um, enjoy, enjoy a new adventure out of it. Yeah, so I mean, we'll see. I mean, are you looking forward to Heroes Reborn? Are you as excited about this as I think I am? I am. 
on a scale of excitement, I'm going to give this, like, with five being the highest, maybe a 4.5. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. The same with, like, Independence Day. Pretty excited about it. Well, that I'm more excited about. <laughs> yeah, Independence so, Day, yeah. So I, I think it's going to be uh, really cool that they're bringing, they're bringing that back. So. Um, all right. Well, let's move on. We had some sad news that happened, wow, just a few days ago. I remember being up late at night and seeing this come across the wire and saying, oh, no, are you serious? Do you want to tell us a little bit about this, Miles? So, um, James James Warner, composer of, of critically acclaimed, well-loved scores like uh, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, Aliens, for which he re- received his first Oscar nomination, died in a plane crash uh, on June 22, 2015. He was 61. Um, Horner's uh, many other compilations, compositions include uh, Avatar, Kroll, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, and even two episodes of Star Trek Phase Two. Uh, his non-genre work include Titanic, Patriot Games, Apollo 13, and Braveheart. Uh, according to his Wikipedia page, Horner won two Academy Awards for Best Original Dramatic Score for Titanic and Best Best Original Song, My Heart Will Go On, in 1998, and was nominated for an additional eight Oscars. He also won uh, two Gold Globe Awards, uh, three Satellite Awards, uh, three Saturn Awards, and has been nominated for three uh, uh, British Academy Film Awards. So well-accomplished musician. Uh, def- definitely made the, the, uh, the most of his talents, and, uh, and you know, I... I just just naming a few of these is, is is something we've all enjoyed. Yeah. We know so many celebrities have come out in the wake of this tragedy, this plane crash, um, and just expressed um, their sentiments toward it. You know, James Cameron, of course, from Aliens and Avatar, uh, just wrote something that, here's an expert of it, um, of what he wrote about James Horner. I asked if he could write some melodies. I believe that a great score really consists of something you can whistle. That if a melody gets embedded into your mind, it takes the score to a different level. I drove over to his house and he sat at the piano and said, I see this as the main theme for the ship. He played it once through and I was crying. And then he played Rose's theme and I was crying again. And there were so many bittersweet and emotionally uh, renaissance resonance. He hadn't orchestrated a thing, and I knew it was going to be one of cinema's great scores. No matter how the movie turned out, and no one knew at that point, it could have been a dog, I knew it would be a great score. He thought he had done only 5% of the work, but I knew he had cracked the heart and soul. Hmm. So, what a great tribute. I mean, they're talking about the Titanic, Titanic scene. Oh, yeah, I love, I love the music from Titanic. Yeah. Um, um, we, had the, we, had, we had the main song sung at our wedding. Yeah, um... So many people, you know, from from Ron Howard, he did work with, um, you know, Apollo 13, Cocoon and Willow, um, Russell Crowe, who worked with Beautiful, A Beautiful Mind. Uh, people are just saying some really good things about about him. So He will be missed. He will definitely be missed. Mm-hmm. And uh, his music will be missed. Oh, yeah. That's... Uh... It's it's a loss. I mean, uh, the, the the man obviously had uh, the, the just, just you you don't have to think long and hard about some of the, the music from from our favorite movies, um, and uh, this is this is what he created. Yeah, we should really put a piece of music to introduce this segment that he wrote. I, I think that's a that, that that's appropriate. tribute. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit more about him in our sci-fi five and five. But uh, he will be missed. You will miss James Horner. 
Thank you and, for uh, all you've done and contributed to. Yeah. And, well, especially the Star Trek universe, he can, you know, scores two and three mm-hmm. for the for the movies. So, so um, yep, very sad, very sad, but very good at the same time. Well, let's move into some This Week in Star Trek. And this week in Star Trek, we have two, two, mind you. And let's actually flip these stories. Why don't we talk about Paramount did something pretty unprecedented. Oh, absolutely. Do you want to talk about that, Miles? And before I uh, say anything, I mean, I looked at a few places. We've heard the rumors. Uh, We've heard, you know... The lies, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But, New series coming to the silver screen, right? To, the, to, to TV, I mean, and you know, it's gets our hopes up, and uh, that was no. Then they're dashed dastardly to the ground. But this might, you know, breathe a little new life and hope. Uh, so Paramount invites Star Trek Beyond fan creator to pitch a TV series. Now, for people that don't know about Star Trek Beyond, so. Trek movie learned that uh, Michael, uh, I'm not sure if I pronounced his name Gumelt, right. Gamelt. Yeah. Uh, owner of uh, Star Trek Uncharted.com, formerly Star Trek Beyond.com, and creator of the fan concept of the same name, has been invited by Paramount to pitch his idea for a, a Star Trek television series to the network, an unpressed opportunity rarely, if ever, afforded to a non-industry professionals. The concept, now titled Star Trek Uncharted, has been in the works for, for 20 years. It takes place several decades after the time of Captain Kirk and the original Enterprise. Um so many fan creators, writers, and artists and the like dream of one day actually sitting down with a, a big network and pitching their idea. It's the first step that's needed to turn an idea for a show or movie into reality. But production companies don't traditionally take unsolicited ideas from the fans, or they spend all their time reading half-baked treatments, many of which would probably only appeal to a very small fragment of the fan community. Um, as far as we know, Paramount has never listed the fan pitch before. Why you? What makes you... A, your concept's so special that you're able to get your foot in the door. Trek movie, ask uh, Gamelt. I think the rumors of the n- naming coincidence came out. Paramount saw my website and the passion I had for Star Trek. And the idea of returning to TV and for my specific concept, I think they, they felt like I would gladly jump an opportunity to come and pitch it, which of course I did. I am not under any illusions about my chances, and I realize CBS has the rights to produce any new Star Trek TV series. But as a chance of a lifetime, and I have nothing to lose, I had a great job and a great life, so why not take the chance? I was a film school student before getting my job at Raven Software. I literally just emptied my dorm room into my car and just left my classes and, and my uh, TA job to go to Raven. Getting to write Star Trek Voyager Elite Force was a fantastic opportunity. I never expected to get it. And now having a, an aspiring filmmaker and a lifelong Trek and sci-fi fan, this pitch opportunity is a dream to come true, so I plan on uh, making the most of this opportunity. Yeah, it's, I'm reading down through, and it says that later on that there were a couple of different sources that this this site confirmed. This is uh, what TrekMovie.com, you know, that they kind of uh, confirmed uh, that this is indeed true. Mm-hmm. So, like I said before, I mean, I checked a few sites for this story, and they're saying the same thing. So, I'm I'm I'm, I'm sure it's trustworthy. Yeah, and if not, well. Many people have been duped by this one. Yeah, and so. uh, but it, it's it sounds promising. I mean, the fact that they're talking about a Star Trek TV series again is yeah. I think that's even that's even maybe bigger than the fact that this guy's doing it. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're actually considering it, right? Because there is n- 
nothing planned, nothing on the books for, forever. Uh, so the fact that so we're looking about three years out at least before we see anything on the actual screen. Yeah, which is too bad because next year is the 50th uh, anniversary of Star Trek. Yeah, unless they aim to get something, uh, a pilot out by then. Yeah, I think that's still, uh, uh, that's still trying hard. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You would think. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Interesting story. Weigh in. What do you think um, about Star Trek Uncharted? And the idea of Star Trek Uncharted. Um, and uh, and it's uh, kind of cool. The, he goes on to say, can I just read him one other paragraph? Oh, sure. He said? Please do. So Gummel went on to say, well, I love this title. Tar- you know, talking about how it was originally Star Trek Beyond and how it went to Star Trek Uncharted. And he says this. Well, I love the title Star Trek Beyond and, that in, and what that evoked in terms of the mission of both the show and the Enterprise itself. That's why I picked the name out of 100 name ideas I had back when I wrote all this up last year. But when rumors came out that Paramount might name the next movie the same thing, I knew I would need to change it to avoid confusion. I went back to my list and one of them just really jumped out at me that I hadn't really given much serious thought to. Star Trek Uncharted. It really gets the essential mission of the new Enterprise, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go, and so on. To bring back that frontier wagon train to the star's spirit of the original series. A real journey into the unknown. But I also think it describes as well the goal of the show, to bring Trek back to TV in a way it's never been done. As a modern, premium cable format series with a dramatic structure. And to touch on current themes, social political topics, and new sci-fi ideas that Trek hasn't been able to address for the past 10 years. My vision for the series would be to take Star Trek into uncharted water- waters in several different ways. So I think that's kind of cool. We're looking mm-hmm. at he's looking at trying to honoring the social political commentary of Trek. Yeah, a, com- a common criticism of the the JJ movies is there 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 is no heavy in the action, light in the commentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah so well, very cool. Very cool. So we'll see what happens. Let us know what you are thinking about that, but that should be awesome. I'm, I, I'm looking forward to it. Well, in the past couple of weeks, a video has surfaced that's been kind of playing with, hey, uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, um, nerddom, and how uh, and which one's more valid, I guess. Miles, this is not a new conversation. Oh, this conversation has been going on for decades. <laughs> <laughs> it has literally been going on for decades. So they released this, and it's this conversation based between Darth Vader and Picard, right? Right. Uh, iconic figures when you talk about them in the uh, Star Trek and Star Wars universe, no doubt. And so what we want to do is we want to play... We want to play just this two-minute clip, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Sound good to you, Miles? Sounds good. All right. Captain, we're caught in some kind of tractor beam. Open a channel! I sense a presence I've not felt in a long time. Nerds! Ah, you again. Look, we're not nerds. If we're nerds, you're nerds. Yeah, right. I'm a Sith Lord, and you're a bald guy in pajamas. Can you do this? No, because that doesn't make any sense. If people can do that, why does anyone have a gun? Oh, because you have to have the reflexes of a Force Master? Oh, so you have to be magic then. That's dumb. Oh, okay, the Force is dumb, 
but you beaming people all over the place isn't. It's science! We convert a person or object into an energy pattern through a process called demon- Oh, there you go. Yeah, pack your dialogue with bullshit pseudoscience. We don't do that! Sir, we cannot compensate for the gravimetric interference. Not now, Jordy. Oh, I feel like I'm in science class, but I'm getting dumber. You want to talk about pseudoscience? Midichlorines, then! That doesn't count. How about politics? The Galactic Senate, then? Doesn't count either. Oh, great. So tell me, what does count? as Star Wars. The Clone Wars cartoon and the original three movies. Except the Ewoks. They're dumb. Oh yeah, yeah. Hilarious. Almost as hilarious as Star Trek V. We don't speak of the odd-numbered Star Trek movies. That's weird, because it seems like all you do is talk. Your simple shoot-em-up mind just can't handle these complex, nuanced Boring. issues. Boring! Oh yeah, your stuff is so nuanced. Be nice to Data and don't be racist to aliens. There, I solved Star Trek. It's far more intelligent than your dark side, light side nonsense. Star Wars is like philosophy for children. Yeah, sorry, we have to keep it simple to, you know, move the plot along and have some action. Star Trek has plenty of action. Captain, will you be attending my poetry reading later? God. Data, seriously. The only strong Star Trek character gets his ass kicked all the time. Enough! I won't sit here any longer and be insulted! Oh, man, the Force rules! Oh, Worf sucks so bad. Yes, yes, very funny, Lord Vader, but I'm afraid that while you were prattling on, we were collecting valuable information about your space station and have detected a weakness. Target the exhaust port! Fire photon torpedoes! Photon torpedoes? What are those, like geek-ass proton torpedoes? Your special effects are lame! That's not the point! Yes, it is! <laughs> that was funny. I don't care which side you like better, oh, but it, it was funny. My favorite part is, like, um, <laughs> Jonathan Frakes' character. Um, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Riker. Yeah, so Riker like keeps propping his foot up. Right. On like people's heads over the balcony. <laughs> mm -hmm. On Doctor Crusher's head. Yeah. And what does Worf do? Like write a like a love letter to Darth Vader or something? A fan letter he wants to give him. At that one point, when after he knocks him through a wall. Right. <laughs> oh. And what it does is it highlights the things that people make fun of in both series. That it does. Um, it does. So uh, seriously, the odd number Trek movies or the bad movies? That's kind of the, um, yeah. That that's kind of um, the movies that didn't do the best. I mean, for whatever reason, is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Although I like that movie, um, I guess it, it it did do as well as the box office. Star Trek Five is hated and panned by most Star Trek fans. Um, then you have um, uh, the ne the the next odd number movie is uh, Star Trek Generations, uh, with which brought Kirk with the, with with Picard, that had mixed uh, fan reactions, and then um, the the next odd number movie was um, Star Trek Insurrection, didn't do that great in theaters. Uh, I like that one. I, I, I've enjoyed most of the Star Trek movies. Mm -hmm. Some of them move a little bit quicker than others. Right. But, but then, you know, Star Trek 09 was an odd number movie, and that killed it at the box office. So it kind of threw the theory out of the water. But... Or broke the curse. I mean, yeah, the, the, the odd number curse. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, like like you said, they picked the things that we all make fun of, you know, on both sides. You know the special effects. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know. Um, yeah. Picard says, uh, you, know, you have mitochlorians. And he goes, Vader's like, doesn't count. Doesn't count. Oh, yeah, the general assembly doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. What does count? All the Clone Wars episodes and yeah. the original three episodes, three movies. Except for the Ewoks. Except the Ewoks. <laughs> and there's an Ewok in the back, you know, screwing with the stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. But it's a and funny... funny in the technobabble comment. Like... Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, something Star Trek is known for is technobabble. Um, oh. But v- fun little animation. Good job to whoever created it. Uh, we put it on our Facebook page. If uh, you haven't seen it yet, you need to see it. Yeah, which is nerdier, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars or Star Trek? Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that, Miles. And that is a pretty awesome, pretty oh. awesome here. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, let's move into our interview tonight with Raven Oak. We got a chance tonight to sit down with Raven Oak and chat with her about a new book, which actually nods to Star Trek in a couple ways, both in its title, Class M Exile, uh, but also because this book really does do what Trek does, and that functions well in the level of social commentary. Right. If you like science fiction that that, that really deals with social commentary, you need to give this book a uh... Uh, you need to check this book out. Yeah, so I would say that if you love Star Trek, especially because of the way it commented on society, that this book really is for you. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that being said, this is not a Star Trek book. There's nothing other than the fact that it works on that socio-political level. Um, there's nothing in it that's really Star Trek per se, but it does do that level of commentary. And the great thing about this book, it's only 100 pages long. Right. So, I mean, and... Another thing that's great is, hey, we're giving away a free copy of this. Oh, how cool is that? So if, if after listening to the interview, you're, you're like, you know what? That's kind of interesting. I'd like to, I like to read it. I'd like to see it, get a copy of it. We have a, a, we're going to hook you up with a free ebook copy of this. And um, if you're interested, just send the Sci-Fi Diner podcast a, uh, an email saying, hey, I would love to receive a copy of this. And we'll put your name in a drawing and we'll... Uh, We'll see if you win. That sounds like a great, great. We'll post it on our mm-hmm. Facebook page as well. But Raven Oak from Seattle, this is her second book, and she's written many other short stories and has many others on the horizon that are coming out. Uh, real easy, quick read, but don't let that fool you. The, the book does have a depth and a level that's pretty awesome. And uh, I know I enjoyed reading a copy of it, and, um, and it's awesome. So, yeah, we, you need to put this author on your radar. Yeah, absolutely. So here's our interview with Raven Oak. Hope you enjoy. military beefcake with a grudge, wartime conspiracy, a stolen ship, a galaxy full of prejudice, and at the center of it all, a young human named Mel in search of the truth. Her search for her past and his quest for the knowledge take them across the stars as they undercover the darkness and fear in us all. If what, 
If you want to know more about this story, then we're happy to direct you to the new book, Class M Exile. And here to talk with us tonight is the author, Ms. Raven Yoke. Ms. Oak, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. We're delighted to talk to you. Well, Miles, as you were reading through that little introduction, I had a little bit of flashback of uh, Firefly a little bit. You know, here they are stealing a ship. Well, they don't steal a ship, but they're mysterious paths and ships are stolen and crimes committed. And Oh, yeah. It has, has a little Firefly-esque uh, feeling, which, bent, bent to that. Which, which, which I like. Yeah, it's great. Well, uh, Misso, we want to get into your books, but um, we want to get to know you as an author a little first. Um what is your? What would you say is the first thing that got you into science fiction and fantasy? Um, we'll start there, um, and maybe it's. I mean, you know, in the we'll get into the writing, but especially science fiction and fantasy. What drew you that direction? Okay. Uh, well, when I was in middle school, I think the first thing I encountered was Anne McCaffrey's Pern series. Awesome and series. A friend introduced me. Yeah, a friend introduced me to that, and I fell in love so much with just the world building and the possibilities of having this creature that not only understands you, which is important for a middle schooler, but also this creature that you could go fly places and basically teleport all over the world sounded so cool to me that I had to know more about this wonderful world of fantasy where, you know, people made stuff up. So I basically went to the local half price books which was one, the only one in texas at the time and probably spent a good 50 dollars on paperback books in the the sci-fi fancy section went home and then read them in a week and that's kind of where it started <laughs> <laughs> well and that's a really a great a really great place to start um i, I read through i don't know if i've read all the books but i read through the first three did you ever read mm-hmm. the Miles? Did you ever read the uh, Dragon Riders of Pern? I can't say I have no. Yeah, well, it's more of a, I guess, they're sci-fi. It's on another world, but it's more fantasy. Mm-hmm. Would you say Raven? If you only read the first three, it feels very fantasy. If you continue through the series, there's a lot of science fiction to it. Okay, very good, very good. Well, so a writer. What made you want to become a writer? When I was little, I was always telling stories and tall tales, and it would get me into a lot of trouble. <laughs> I, would em- I would embellish things and, and stretch the truth because it was more fun than what was really happening in the world. So, you know, if someone tore my shirt while we were on the playground, I went home and it wasn't somebody, my friend, who tore it, but it was now, you know, I climbed up a tree and got up on top of the roof of, you know, a three-story building and rescued a kitten and it clawed me and tore my shirt on the way down as the fireman thanked me and, you know, I would embellish these these crazy stories. Um, and I just got to a point where people would say, oh, you're really good at that. You should write that down. And so I did. And when I discovered Anne McCaffrey's Pern, I spent the summer of sixth grade basically it was fan fiction before fan fiction was really a big thing but i i wrote a 350 page book that was my version of pern and when i did that i went hey i can write i just made a whole novel that's pretty cool so then i turned around and did it again but a little less pern and i kept doing that through through basically my k-12 through education until 
I was an adult and went to a couple writing workshops and went, oh, this is something I really want to do. So I did. Very awesome. Very awesome. Uh, and you, uh, um, Miles, go on to the next question. Raven Oak, you have a very cool name, by the way. Any chance your, 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 your parents you. were hippies? They, one of them was. <laughs> we'll say that. One oh. of them was. <laughs> Uh, my my mother was, but my my father is um, very religious and conservative, which is why it took me so long to discover the world of science fiction fantasy. Oh, okay. See, my my parents were religious and conservative, and uh, we my dad loved science fiction, so ah. so I, I, did, I got into watching a little bit, mostly reading, mostly reading. Mm-hmm. We were okay with Star Wars, um, but it was, you know, everything else kind of getting to the lands of uh, D&D, and that's evil and, you know, makes people into feminists and horrible yeah. people. So, um, yeah. Well, D&D was, D&D was absolutely forbidden when I was oh, yeah. growing up. That, that yeah. and, and Magic the Gathering, whoa. Yep. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, based on their, their understanding, that's fine to each his own, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know. So whatever. I mean, some people that 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 gives them there's a certain level of comfort in that. So, um, well, it seems like um, that that obviously writing has been a passion from early on. These tall tales are some people might even call them lies that you were telling that ended up becoming these full stories. It's awesome. You have two books out right uh, right now. I guess the first one is. What is it? A maskin? A maskin's blood. A maskin's blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then Class M Exile, which, if I'm correct, just came out. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so that just came out. Um, we're going to get to Class M Exile. That's why we really want to talk about at least a little bit without spoiling too much. Um, tell me a little bit about A Maskin's Blood, since I did not actually read that one. A Maskin's Blood is epic fantasy. It's the first book in a trilogy. And the main character is a sort of holy assassin who feels that she is out there to represent all the little people who don't have a king in their pocket to bail them out of trouble. So she feels that she's a justice seeker on behalf of the gods. Um, she gets sent into the hands of what she thinks is her enemy, which ends up being her father. So there's a lot of political intrigue and her own searching for who she is as a person when she's not just an Amaskin. Okay. And so there's two other books that are planned in this, in this series. Yes. Obviously it's a trilogy. Um, what are you looking at as far as target dates for them and all? And I mean, maybe not dates, but target time periods for them when they come out. Amaskin's War is supposed to be out next year, assuming that everything stays on schedule. I did, break my wrist earlier in the year and I'm due for wrist surgery. So there's been a little bit of delay on, on some timelines. Um, the third book after that, I would assume would be the year after assuming again, that my timelines stay on schedule as far as getting everything to my editor and back and everything. So that's where that timeline's looking at the moment. Very cool. Well, now let's, let's move into class M exile a little bit. Um, okay. We, we talked a little bit before the show about the inspiration, what kind of, or some of the things that you kind of explored in this book. What was the, uh, can you give us, I guess, our listeners who will, probably will not have read this book, a little bit of a premise for the novel? The main character is an alien 
uh, all the characters are actually aliens in the book, except for one of the other characters who he encounters when he's on vacation at Bazar. And our main character, Earl, is a professor of sorts of human studies. Humans are considered extinct at this point for the most part, and his only exposure to them has been in texts which are in a Texas drawl. So he kind of operates under the assumption that that's what all humans sound like. And in his studies, because he, he wants to, I guess, uh, fall into that way of life and, and try to understand it from that perspective, he talks with a Texas drawl. And he then, as he's exploring Bazar, meets his first human, and everything goes into chaos land from there. That's a pretty accurate description. I think my favorite thing about him is, what's he asking always, like, uh, what a fish is or something like that? Yes. Yeah, he's like, yes. what's a fish? What's a fish? <laughs> and it kind of crops up throughout it. But... The, the second character, Mel, who is a human, is wearing a shirt that says, a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. And he only understood about half of the translation. That's why he's constantly asking what's a fish <laughs> he's heard of a bicycle he doesn't never seen one but he's heard of it right fish he's like i don't know what this is right so no, no no concept you know one of the things you said that you really tried to explore is the idea of a prejudice and uh, percep mm -hmm. and i guess pre preconceptions yes uh, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that sure the premise for this actually came up at a writing workshop with connie willis and when I wrote the intro, they liked the twist that I put in there that, that Earl was this alien because you're not expecting it with the Texas drawl. And part of my inspiration came from something that happened to me in middle school with my friend who actually said, hey, you need to read all this science fiction fantasy. Her first day at school, she walked into a small Texas school where everybody was very conservative and very religious and i like to joke that even the catholics go to protestant church and the person who walked in was such an antithesis to everything texas you know she was very much a hippie she was wearing you know hemp shoes and hemp jewelry and had multiple piercings and um you know braided hair and just she was not normal people reacted so horrifically to it they they bullied her they ostracized her almost immediately and i could almost still remember how much people were almost stampeding to get away from her that reaction to someone different reminded me of how we are afraid of things that are different from ourselves and i really wanted to look at that with class m and you know if you look at how we think about oh when we meet aliens it'll be so great well, I'm not so sure it would be. I mean, I kind of, uh, I'm of the, the train of thought that we might blast them out of the sky out of fear or something different. And I really wanted to kind of mix those two ideas together um, while juxtapositioning, you know, Earl with this Texas drawl and almost human sounding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, when I was reading the book, I didn't, it took me, I don't know, half a chapter to pick up on, well, maybe not half, a couple pages to pick up the, that Earl was actually alien. Yeah. yeah, because, he, because he's speaking normal and then suddenly he has like a third leg. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, well, I kind of gave it away. But, <laughs> um, but you know, despite it being a very alien, uh, that he's an alien, the, the ships uh, the ships kind of have a very normal sci-fi feel. And so it didn't feel, mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily feel 
alien per se. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I think I, I've had a lot of really good reviews on it so far. There have been a couple of, you know, mediocre reviews where people have commented on that. And, you know, my reaction to that is just that that was not the purpose of the story. Yes, I could go into, you know, a 500-page treatise on, on the ship, but I wanted to really focus on the lesson and the, the moral that was in the story of how we are afraid of different. And even aliens would carry their own prejudice. And so I focused more on that and a little less, I think, on some of the descriptions that would have made things a little more alien, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, when I read it, I didn't, uh, I didn't necessarily... It didn't bother me. It didn't. It yeah. just, in fact, what it did is that because you didn't focus on that, um, the ships only be only functioned really as a vehicle to continue the story, and mm-hmm. they were not the central part in the story. Even the planets they were on were not necessarily the central story. The story really was the relationship between Earl and Mel, yes. and um, him kind of going along for the ride, but discovering something at dark in the process. So. Yes. Oh, good. That's exactly what I wanted people to get out of it. So, yeah, there is a uh, twist ending. I'm not going to spoil it. Miles. You <laughs> yeah. <know>. So, <laughs> but now, so in this book, we, we, you mentioned that the, I guess, a mask and blood is a trilogy. Any plans to be playing in the class of universe? Um, yes, there, there is another book that I have slated for next year, uh, called the eldest silence, which is in the same universe, but is before humans go extinct. Oh, so cool. there's a little bit of play there. I've got a couple short stories up my sleeve that are kind of buzzing in my brain to continue some of the adventures of Earl. I'm not sure what's going to happen with that yet. Um, or where I'll submit it, you know, whether it'll be in something like, um, me trying to get Tor to pick it up in their short story collections or, or something else, but that's kind of my my aim is to put some more out there in that universe. Sure. You know, one of the things I just thought of as you were talking about Earl is that in this story, the, the, the person that really drives this story forward is Mel and her yes. actions. It's not, and Earl's Earl really is he's one of these characters that he's just along for the ride, sort of. I yep. mean, he, he has he has some. He's, a, he's an important part, especially as you get toward the end. But he's, you know, he's just along for the ride. And it's really Mel that does the action stuff. So. Agreed. And you see just a lot of uh, his reactions to her actions. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Which really is telling. I mean, I think that's, again, the point and how this book is meant to come off. You know, the other mm-hmm. thing that is refreshing for me about reading your book is... So we talked a little bit about how I went through the Wheel of Time series and I went through the Dune books. These mm-hmm. novels are, oh, I don't know, five, six hundred page books each. Yeah. And, and and get to your novel. I don't know how how long is. I guess I could look at it. I have it right here. But it's like a, about a hundred pages, like a novella, yeah. I guess. It's mm-hmm. it's practically a almost a Sunday afternoon read. And it's, and, yeah. and it's refreshing to read a story and complete it and not have to worry about it. You know, mm-hmm. going in for the long haul. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I think, uh, you know, A Maskin's Blood, I love it dearly, don't get me wrong. And I think it does really well for me. And I, I love that universe and I plan to play in it um, beyond that trilogy, I think, a little bit. But 
not everybody wants to make the time investment in something like epic fantasy and i know it's exhausting when you're not sure how long a series is going to run sometimes they run past their prime so i like the idea of being able to say you know class m is this nice little novella and it's told and done and a mask and blood is gonna you know that that that's going to be a trilogy and if i come back to the world it'll be with something else and it will probably be you know a standalone or a trilogy that way people aren't quite having to swallow oh i'm gonna to have to wait 20 years to get the whole series because i know that annoys me sometimes as a reader like george r, r. martin so. <laughs> yes um, <laughs> <laughs> i was trying not to say that but no, yes no oh, george, no, we, we will well we, we talk about it in the show all the time so, no. <laughs> so and they all die but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, well, you did kill some people off in this story, but we won't yeah. tell you. So uh, it wouldn't be a story without a few deaths. No, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Um, well, very good. So, uh, so we've been talking uh, about this book. Uh, where, if if our listeners hearing us talk about it, saying, you know, this the story, the premise, the idea um, is something I'm interested in. I'm interested in how it really functions as social commentary. This, by the mm-hmm. way, Miles, very much Star Trek for you. Mm-hmm. Miles is a huge Trekkie, right? So yes. guilty as charged. So, so it's very yeah. So I mean, Star Trek. You know, episodes of Star Trek really read as social commentary. This really does yep. work as social commentary. And man, so much so when you look at our society and what we're dealing with in what, South Carolina and and other yes. stuff that's happening in the world with gender identity and um, very relevant novel for this time. Mm-hmm. So. That was my intention. Um, you know, I know that there there were quite a few Trekkies having a flame war over my title of my book um, because of the Class M nod. And that's part of our vernacular at this point, but it is very much a nod to the social commentary of Star Trek and, and, and other science fiction because that's what I grew up reading and that's, that's what framed me as a writer as well. And I think that authors have a, a purpose in asking those difficult questions and making people think yeah absolutely absolutely so uh where i was heading with that is so if people want to pick up class of exile or a maskin's blood where, where where do they go to find that uh it's in paper book and ebook formats at pretty much independent and chain bookstores internationally so you can walk into amazon or barnes and noble you can also get it off indie bound and your independent bookstores uh you know books a million powell's places like that all right very good so that it's out there it's available and we already talked about that these being a continuing series and they can get a hold of it um so if listeners want to kind of stay up to date on what's going in raven what's going on in raven oaks world where do they do that I have a website, www.ravenoak.net. You can find all my social media contacts on there, and you can also join the conspiracy, which is the mailing list. Conspiracy, because that's what a group of ravens is called. And joining the mailing list or keeping up with me on social media is probably the best way to stay apprised what's going on. Yeah, very good. And uh, by the way, a lot of information on the website about yes. going on. So I was on that earlier. I was like, wow, this is pretty developed. So, very cool. And I, and I love the idea of joining the conspiracy. Miles, did you know that a group of ravens is called a conspiracy? I did not. I learned something this evening. Yeah. Don't worry. They were trying to keep it from you. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was fitting with the political intrigue level with a mask and blood when it came out. So I was like, that that's a really nice name for a, a mailing list, I think. <laughs> oh, it's cool. It, it is, it is, it is. And, and just something else for your listeners. I know that um, the members that are members right now on the mailing list, if they were members back, I guess, last week when Class M Exile came out, they got free copies of e- the ebook. Ooh. So joining is always a nice thing because I like to sprinkle out freebies on occasion when i can yeah well that's awesome see you could have gotten the free i know <laughs> there we go yeah well awesome well hey raven I, it was great chatting with you anything else you want to say before we wrap up our interview here just stay geeky find your people have fun folks yeah absolutely excellent yeah and so you can check out the sites that we just talked about please Support Raven on Amazon and any other bookstore that you buy your stuff from. And uh, Raven, it's great having you on. And hey, when you have your next novel come out, we'll have to hit us up again. We'll have you back on. Yeah, I have uh, something coming out in December. So we'll, we'll have to chat again for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. Thank you. for dessert and um, it's a good dessert but it doesn't come without a touch of sadness because we're actually doing this in honor of the late James Horner right and uh, so what we did is we compiled a, a, a list of top five James Horner science fiction movies mm-hmm. all right so I don't know if you miles you can see that they're kind of uh, down near the bottom and uh, I did not put these in order and maybe we can discuss our, our favorite of these in just a little bit. but mm-hmm. And the one you might even argue, Miles, that it actually doesn't belong on the science fiction list. But I think it does. I think it does. So let's... Uh, let's, let's uh, Should I start? And then Go ahead. Okay. So my... my not Coming at number five is actually... And this is the one that I mentioned that I'm not sure you classify as sci-fi. is the movie Field of Dreams.
And I put Field of Dreams, which is really just a baseball movie, uh, onto sci-fi because it deals with a little bit of time travel in a way or bringing people from the past into the present in a fantasy type setting. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I could probably classify it as a little bit of sci-fi. That's all right. What do you think? Will you buy that, Miles? Well, you can only tell this story in a sci-fi fantasy genre. Right, absolutely. You know, if you build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. um, and the music was so effective in building the atmosphere of that movie. Like, I felt like it had to be here. Mm -hmm. Had to be here. How about how about the number four? They one they say it's the best Star Trek movie ever. Star Trek: Wrath of Khan. I mean. Just, uh, um, just, 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 again, Star Trek ha, ha, has has one, one of the main things going for it is the music, and um, I'm just thinking of the battle between Kirk and Khan, and hearing that music in my head while um, they're trying to one up each other. It's, uh, I, 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 the movie would have lacked some if it didn't have that music, didn't have that score. Yeah, and James Horner. Yeah, he, he scripted that that music, as well as our number three, which is we were talking about this movie earlier, the search for Spock. Mm -hmm. By the way, according to Frage from Think Geek, said that this music is not, you can't find it anywhere. Oh. You can get you can get a hold of it illegally, basically. Mm. But you can't actually buy this soundtrack. But no. apparently a very good soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Um, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. 
So mm-hmm. an incredible score. What do you think of the score for that movie? Oh, I, I, I loved it. I'm just, um, I, I'm now reliving in my mind scenes in the movie and hearing the music being played in the background. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, if you're a sci-fi fan of the last few decades, James Horner's music was a part of that. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we get to our number two, again, these are no particular order of preference. Um, and Aliens. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about a franchise that has spawned many sequels, spinoffs, video games, and... Um, we have a rumored another alien movie coming down the pike, don't we? I believe we do. I mean, it, it also it, it, we kind of crossed the streams a little with uh, aliens versus you know predator versus yeah, aliens, and right, so right. Um, and Prometheus came out was pro- kind of an alien yeah. prequel, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, so his music is what kind of framed out and fleshed out the body of the original Aliens. Remember, we did that on the Sci-Fi Rewind way back in the day with. Ben oh, I remember reviewing. Yeah, we so, reviewed Aliens. Yeah, that was yeah, fun. We did. Yeah, so Aliens. And I actually, because I think it was, was it the second Aliens we reviewed? Or yes. did we do the second one? So, the second one, yeah. So he did not do the music for that one. But I remember because of that, I watched like all the Alien movies at once. Mm-hmm. And very good. So Aliens was definitely in there as being certainly an essential sci-fi film that he was a part of. Oh, oh definitely. If, if you're a sci-fi fan, Aliens yeah, has to be on your list. Yeah, and what about our number one, Miles? Uh, Avatar. Uh, Avatar was revolutionary just for... The visual effects, but if it didn't have that music, uh, I don't. It just it wouldn't have been the same. Seeing the world um, and experiencing the world and 
the the epic battle scene at the end. Uh, it's the one thing Horner created some fantastic battle scene music. And so, um, so yeah, it's his his hand is on a, a lot of the the greatest sci-fi films of all time with his music. Yeah, and uh, you know, we, as we talk about that, we do have to say that. The two top movies that have earned the most money ever worldwide, mm-hmm. James Horner wrote the scores for. I don't think it's a coincidence. Yeah, Avatar mm-hmm. is number one with a worldwide gross of almost three billion, mm-hmm. and Titanic with a little over two billion. Wow! So those are top two grossing movies. Third one, by the way, is Avengers. He didn't write the score for, it. but <laughs> but but he but it's it's there and the only. The only non-sci-fi flick, but I guess there's two. The only the only two movies that are not sci-fi are Frozen and Furious Seven. Oh, okay. So, and uh, they aren't really near any of the others. So. Yeah, most of the stories up there are sci-fi or geeky oriented films. We did have some honorable mentions, by the way, that I felt like we'd be remiss. Of not mentioning Titanic, obviously it's his. Um, who can forget the iconic theme music of "My Heart Will Go On," and of, of you know Jack and you know standing in the front of the ship with uh, what's the girl's name? Yeah, Rose. Rose. Jack mm-hmm. and Rose. Just great. Apollo 13. Oh yeah. You know that's not really a sci-fi film because it's sci-fi. Real science. Real, real science. A uh, Braveheart classic. Um, and these are three that he penned music for that were just iconic pieces. Mm-hmm. The Rocketeer, I guess, could have been put in there and throw that in there, but that's a good one. So many pieces that he's penned. Wow, this is a. I, I'm just reliving some scenes in my mind of just the music behind these scenes. Yeah. And how, how they help make the scene. Well, Sci Fi Diners, uh, we would love to hear from you. What are some of your favorite James Horner moments in music? Maybe it's a particular song, a particular point in a movie. Maybe it's just the soundtrack itself. We would love to hear from you about this. You can email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. Well, Miles, I think that's about it. Yeah. So don't forget, we have that contest. If you're interested in a book from Raven Oak, Class M Exile, we'll be giving one away for free. Just email us and let us know that you want it. Um, and we'll be back on the next show. So we're missing her tonight a little bit, but it's, we have a good show anyways. And um, just keep that in mind. Don't forget Back to the Future 3 is going to be coming up sometime in the middle of July. Keep an ear out for that. Follow us on Facebook to find out more about that. I think that's it, Miles. All right. Till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. We'll see ya.